Welcome back to another episode of Angry Girl Music of the Indie Rock Persuasion. I'm your host, Amanda Starling, here to dismantle the patriarchy and get the conversation going on intersectional feminism. This week, I'm joined by Naomi of the band Basic Bitches, based out of Brooklyn and New Jersey. Naomi came over to the United States from the UK and brought along her grassroots ability to find and make great punk music. We talked about everything from using zines as a way to find bands to the phrase basic bitches itself and how that can be interpreted. Better yet, we dug into some of the heavier hitting topics like Brexit and the election of he who must not be named. So without further ado, let's dig into my talk with Naomi. Basic bitches. That's really exciting. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, one of the first things I always like to ask people is, you know, how did you first become involved in music? How did you start to play? Wow. Okay. Um, I'll try not to give you the absolute longest version of this, but um, <laughs> I guess when I was a kid, I played uh, recorder like a lot of kids do. Certainly in England, everybody learns recorder when they're like five. Okay. Uh, and we inherited a piano from a great uncle when I was about seven. 
that I would just play around on. It was like hugely out of tune, covered in cat hair. <laughs> we were just the only people that had room for it in their house. It wasn't because we had a great desire to own a piano. But um, my parents kind of realized that I was spending a lot of time with it. So they asked me if I wanted to have a lessons. So then I had lessons with an old lady called Mrs. Stenning for, <laughs> God, 10 years or something. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, a long time. And then I decided I was way too cool for the piano and gave it up. The trouble with the piano is if you're a teenager and you're listening to bands that are primarily guitar-based, it's very difficult to like reconcile your angst with your very non-angst instrument. So, um, I mean, at one point in my life, when I was about 12, I could play the entirety of Crossroad, the best of Bon Jovi on the piano. Which... Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> <laughs> Most of the tunes are not piano-driven either, but I found a way through. Um, and I started, I was in, I started being in bands when I was like, Probably about 15. I was in a band with just boys from the village. Um, I grew up in a like, very, very small village in the south of England. There was no okay. way um, <laughs> <laughs> So we made our own. We played one show in the village hall. We didn't really know what a show was supposed to be either. Like, <laughs> so. That's neat though. It's like you get to build your own culture at that point. Oh, I think I lost connection with you. For yeah, a so. Yeah, I think I eventually was in another band with other boys. Um, and that band that band was called the Casanovas. Oh, cool. That band and two other bands tried to like make a show because there wasn't anywhere for us to play. So we had this one like village hall show that we just, we had no idea what was supposed to go on. I just have this like vivid memory of us just booking the show, getting a PA, putting posters up, a bunch of kids coming. And then we just didn't even like play music between the band. Like we just, we did not know what was supposed to happen at the show. Sounds like you were just super DIY from the beginning, you know? (laughs) Beyond DIY. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And then that band, um, we, so uh, one of the guys in that band, Sam, went on to, he, he was in that band and another band at the same time. The other band was called The Order they ended up getting signed to uh, be unique and like they had three albums and like were a thing. He's now a professional songwriter actually. He writes for like Enrique Iglesias and Wow, that's incredible. Like that. But he he was he lived in Brighton, which is like a recognizable city. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he knew about shows. It's kind of where I was rambling to. So once I was in a band with him, he at least knew that how shows were supposed to be and people that could get us shows. So we did that a bit. And then I learned to play the guitar. Around the time I went to university, I like just bought a guitar and decided it was time. Um, and then I had bands through university. Uh, yeah. I guess that was that was very rambly, but that was basically that's the trajectory, I guess. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, it sounds like you've experienced a lot of different types of music in that sense too. I mean, the fact that you have a piano background and then ended up kind of starting to experiment with bands and such. Um, what genre did you feel the most drawn to 
at one point? And then what bands kind of motivated you to kind of keep writing and playing? Yeah, um, I guess like back then when I first started being in bands, I was primarily into punk. Okay. Uh, so we, as well as not having anywhere to see bands, had only the most high street of places to buy music. But there used to be this fanzine in the UK called Fracture that was run by some guys that were in, I think they were in Leeds. They were way north of where I was. But you could send them a check and they would mail you the latest copy. So I would like send them a, che- like, a check from my mom. Give my mom like five pounds. Get her to write awesome. them a check. Mail it. And then I would just pour through the whole thing. I mean, it was... It was a huge piece of work, actually. That I, it was a lot of pages, and they would have half of it would be reviews of or and and like interviews and stuff. And I would read every single word in Fracture, make a list of records that sounded like I wanted them, and then, like, I mean, I guess, I guess, search online. Sometimes there would be an address. There would be like you can you can mail order them. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I would try and buy them in the local record store, but it was like, it was our price, which was kind of like, um, I, I guess kind of like Tower, but like a smaller chain than that. But yeah. and it was a tiny, tiny storefront, but they could order stuff. But if it was on some random punk label, then that, that was not going to happen. But like, that was how I consumed music. I mean, I liked mainstream stuff as well prior to us all discovering punk like i my only way of finding out about music was like the our equivalent of top 40 radio and yeah and top of the pops um so it was all mainstream until we discovered fanzines and then it was like there's a whole other world out there so it was like before that it was like you know brit pop or we didn't really have grunge in the UK. We were too busy with Britpop, I think. No, that makes sense. And, you know, I love the fact that you discovered a lot of the bands that you like through fanzines and stuff. Um, I don't feel like fanzines get enough credit, at least here in the States sometimes, for, like, really bolstering scenes and exposing people to music. At least not as much, and I'd say, like, the past couple of years. It's starting to come back, thank goodness, because I love zines and I love the culture and the fact that it really uh, it pushes bands forward into people's uh, yeah. perspective. So. Yeah. I mean, it was inc- that thing, uh, Fracture in particular, was just like the Bible to us. <laughs> it's just like two guys. Like they were, I don't know how old they were. I actually know one of them now. They were probably like late 20s, I guess. And they would just put all this time and effort into making the scene. I remember like they reviewed, we sent them a cassette of our band and they reviewed it. And it was, oh, like, awesome the pinnacle of our lives (laughs) it's come full circle at that point now somebody will pick up a zine and learn about your band it wasn't even a very good review it didn't matter they knew who we were (laughs) it's always exciting when somebody notices what you're working on and then especially something that you've respected for so long and learned from a lot so that's really cool yeah so how did basic bitches kind of come to be and why did you pick the name basic bitches well, uh, so Basic Bitches came to be, I moved to New York from London um, in 2012. Okay. And um, prior to that, I had a band in London for years and years. 
that was originally me on my own, and then it was a three piece, and then it was a four piece, and by the time I left, it was a six piece. Oh, wow. And, uh, it was called Naomi Hates Humans. And um, it, by the end, was kind of like, like there were six people, we all sang harmonies, like multi harmony almost like 60s girl groupy. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, <laughs> it's sort of like the original Naomi Hates Humans record is like basically anti-folk. And I just went on this musical journey over like eight years and just never changed the name. So I think in hindsight, it's probably very confusing to anybody who came to the band late. Um, so I moved here and was like, I loved that band, but six people, it was too much. Like we could never, it's hard enough to rehearse, let alone play shows. Sure. So I came here and was like, I'm just going to play on my own. So I tried that for a while. And then I started to learn drums when I moved here and I was drumming in a band called Designing Women um, that, uh, we never really recorded, unfortunately. There are some tunes online. But, like, between... That was kind of tricky with schedules. And then the stuff on my own just wasn't what I wanted it to be. And then I... Uh, there's a band called The Everyman from New Jersey. They're actually playing their last ever show next weekend. Oh, wow. Been around for years. And, and they were touring down to South by Southwest. This must be three or four years ago. And the keyboard player couldn't do it. So I stepped in. So we did a nine day tour. Like we played like Nashville, Memphis, places like that. And a few days in Austin and then back up again. And they are kind of like New Jersey bar, rock and roll, Springsteen-y. There's horns. It's very fun. And they put a show on. And and it was kind of revelatory to me because I was like... (laughs) Especially the last record that Naomi Hates Humans did is kind of fairly morose music. And it's, uh, it was this kind of of whole thing of this disconnect between the music that I was writing versus what I would actually want to listen to as a human being living my life. (laughs) I'm like, I don't really want to listen to sad music. Why do I keep writing sad music? And like, The Everyman was like so much fun for everybody on stage but also like they made a point of making it fun for everyone in the audience and I was just like I just want to have a rock and roll band I think it's time so I just hit up my friend Josh who was the original Bass of Bitches drummer who used to be my roommate in London actually I've known him for years and years and he moved here six months after I did and he wasn't in a band he's a really great drummer so I just said to him look I want to have a band I want to be a two-piece we don't play any sad songs. We don't play any slow songs. And, um, and I want to call it Basic Bitches. And he was like 100% on board, except I don't understand the name at all. <laughs> <laughs> so he had to go Google it. Because I knew it. It was funny. We got together about two years ago, I think. Um, and maybe it was a bit more than that. The whole basic bitches thing hadn't quite hit the zeitgeist yet. I knew the phrase from things like RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah, it's um, it's very heavy in like popular culture now and stuff. Yeah, like just before we played our first show, that it's it, they kept being on these like BuzzFeed articles and stuff, and it mm-hmm. became a real thing. And we were like, oh shit, 
should we change the name? Yeah, because right now it's like it, it's kind of treated as a derogatory term. I mean, bitch is always a little bit like a hesitant term and stuff. It, the way that I interpret it, at least like listening to your music and getting to know what your band is doing, it sounds like you're kind of trying to turn its name on its head. Like, yeah, and it's, in all honesty, when we first started using it, um, it didn't quite have such negative connotations. Like, it was. Yeah, it's kind of an insult, but it was like a playful insult. When it was being used um, in the instances where I was hearing it, um, it's it got kind of strangely polarized to mean specifically kind of um, blonde-headed, ditzy college girls or whatever. And that wasn't quite what it meant at the time. And... I kind of just liked it. I kind of just thought it was a funny phrase. It's kind of bitchy, but it's like, there seems to be a good heart to it. And I just thought it was a really good punchy band name. It was very memorable. And then like this very sort of, um, the Buzzfeed stuff was like, it was, you know, pumpkin spice latte, Ugg wearing sorority girl bashing, basically. I was like, oh, that's not, that's way more specific than I had heard it used before. And then at that point, we genuinely had a conversation where we were like, maybe we shouldn't use it anymore. And then I just kind of felt like either it's going to revert back to its more playful original use or it's not. And this is the new meaning. And I would rather try and subvert that. So that's kind of how we ended up keeping it. Because I think when you listen to us, like we're pretty positive and um, we're, I would say we're like s small P political. Like it's, we're not necessarily sloganizing, but it's very, our songs are a lot about just finding your own truth and living your life how you want to live your life. So I feel like it plays into that. Um, I do worry that people misinterpret it. It's interesting that you're actually the first person who's directly asked me. No, it's important. And like, I think because of the way that, you know, the word bitch is treated and the way that, you know, feminism treats it and the way that people who are misogynistic treat it, it's like, it's such a complex term. And then the phrase basic bitches in itself, it's like, okay, you kind of have to, it, it's attention grabbing in the sense of that it can be a little bit like, because it's such a controversial term at times it's attention grabbing and you listen to it. But when I listen to the music that you've written and the kind of messaging that you've got, which is very powerful, by the way, um, I can see how it can subvert what popular mainstream culture suggests in the sense of like, you know, the, the derogatory of like the whole, the woman who totes like, you know, this specific pumpkin spice latte and Uggs wearing and stuff. And it's like, well, women shouldn't be criticizing each other. Men shouldn't be criticizing women for enjoying things. And so to kind of step back and be like, no, well, at least this is the first interpretation for me. It's like, well, you know what? The term exists. This is who we are. And um, it's, it's okay to be that person. If you are, you aren't. And it's okay to, to take back a term is definitely what I'm hearing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's interesting. And it's something that I'm, I feel like there's like a responsibility with it as well. Um, you know, I mean, we can't, it's funny, we can't do Facebook sponsored posts 
from our band site. They'll oh, really? Let, they'll let us call the page Basic Bitches, but they won't let us promote the page. Wow, that's, I mean, I know that there's all kinds of crazy algorithms and reasons why they limit people, but is it is it because of the word bitch, basically? Yeah, that literally that. I did once, as an experiment, like, replace the I with, like, a star or whatever, and then I could. So it's definitely the word bitches. And, it, and it's something that I always think about. So we, um, Basic Bitches has always been me and a drummer. There's been three drummers. Um, and um, at one point, so my current drummer, Nick, who I hope is, is going to always be the drummer, <laughs> um, his girlfriend, Lisa, is an incredible bass player. And she played bass on the three newest songs. Oh, awesome. Um, and she played a couple of shows with us. And at one point, the plan was that she would be a permanent third member. But she just didn't feel like she had the time to do the band justice. She's already in another band, also with Nick. Um, and she's recently gone freelance and like blah, blah, blah. She's very busy and she didn't want to like half-ass it, which I appreciate, but also was kind of sad. Um, I think we all, me and Nick both sort of secretly wish she'll change her mind at some point. <laughs> but we had a conversation after she let us know that she couldn't commit to it where we'd really enjoyed playing with a bass player. So then we were like, well, maybe we should get a bass player. Maybe it's time. Um, and then nobody in my immediate circle of musicians felt like they could do it. So I made a Craigslist ad and the only responses we got were guys. And I'm sure there were great bass players and I didn't specify that they couldn't be guys. But then as soon as that was the only the only people who were responding, I suddenly felt like actually being called basic bitches is one thing. Being called basic bitches and the gender mix of the band is overwhelmingly guys. is suddenly different. So that was an interesting thing to think about. And in the end I said to Nick, unless someone amazing comes along or Lisa change her, changes her mind, I think the two piece thing has been our thing forever. Maybe that's, maybe that's the deal, but that was like, a, that was a whole thing that the, the band name thing really threw up. Yeah. Sounds like you've been really conscious of every step of it at this point, especially, you know, who you want to bring into the band, the kind of representation that you want to put forward too. So that's really awesome. Yeah. I mean, like, I love the band name, but you know, we, we great power comes great responsibility. No, that makes total sense. <laughs> well, it's cool that you mentioned that, you know, you've developed into a two-piece now, and your sound is very interesting to me. I like that it's got a very, like, clear punk rock sound to it, but it's a at times you almost bring, like, a bluesy element to it. You know, how did you kind of develop the sound and the kind of energy that you want to project musically? Yeah, um, I think... Some of it's just how I sing, um, which is something that's really developed, actually. If you go, I mean, when I was a kid, I didn't think I could sing at all, just because I couldn't, I didn't know how to control it, and I didn't, and I thought that I had to be able to sing high, you know? Like, if you don't sing high, you can't sing properly, so don't bother. Um, and then those, the earliest Naomi H. Humans records, which, um, 
I think are on Bandcamp. It's funny if you listen to it now, it's very gruff. Like I decided the way to project what I was trying to project was to sing with this like very gravity thing, that's just, which is in my voice anyway, but I was really exaggerating it. I also have the most ridiculously broad London accent. Like if you listen to my uh, musical outfit over the years, you can track the migration of my accent. Um, So I eventually like, well, I'll be perfectly honest. Karaoke was an aspect of it. Really? I moved to um, New York in particular since I moved here. Um, a lot of my friends are big karaoke people and like I knew that I could sing more than I had done in bands it's the difference between knowing what you can be able to sing and like writing in a way that showcases what you know you can sing if that makes sense Um, so it's like singing other people's songs that allowed me to kind of try it out so I would be at karaoke also I've had friends who would just be like you should try this song. Um, and I would do like, like I remember distinctly my friend Nils saying, um, you should try, you should do Give Me Shelter. And being like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to murder this, but I know everyone in the room. So <laughs> you guys can just, we can just turn it off if it's terrible. And then being like, oh, I actually can hit that top note. I guess I can sing all the way up there. And then like making myself try and write in a way that would also send me all the way up there, which I don't do in every song, but, um, so the songs like the first song on this record that's coming out, it's called, we all moved to the city. Now we can't afford to live. I uh, really love that song by the way. <laughs> <laughs> With that, there's like in the middle bit that kind of gets all the way up there. Um, and, uh, and like, that's kind of a good example of pushing myself that way. But the, the bluesy thing is just a gravelly element that's in my voice. Yeah. Um, and I think just, it's also an element of the way that, the way that I play guitar is like, it's, I can't bust out solos or anything. It's, <laughs> I kind of, it's fairly rudimentary. I had a few lessons once 15 years ago. Oh, it's neat though, that you kind of match your vocal timbre and you learn from that also then. Yeah, a lot of how I learned to play guitar was watching videos of other people on like Top of the Pops or whatever and just copying the shapes that their fingers were making. Huh, that's cool. And trying to make them that sound right. Sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. But yeah. uh, so it's a very, yeah, it's, 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 it's very rudimentary. Um, I've had people liken us to the white stripes before which obviously is easy because we're a two two piece but i'm nowhere near jack white type of guitar playing yeah um i think that there's a similar like driving we're almost the opposite of the white stripes because nick's a very technically excellent drummer and then i'm kind of doing what i can do on the guitar top no, that's, it, it, that's the, me. Nick's predecessor, briefly a girl called Shelly played drums, and she was a less complex drummer. And it definitely, like, didn't quite work. Like, it needed it needed the complex drums 
at times to kind of lift up what I was doing. No, it, it seems like it fuses together really well, especially with that song in particular. Yeah, if you don't mind, I'm actually going to kind of switch gears and talk about, like, City Slackers in particular and that song, We All Moved to the City, We Can't Afford to Live. Like, first of all, musically brilliant. Like, I love I love the speed. I love the energy. I kind of like the, the anger that I get off of it because I have friends who've moved to major cities like New York and Philadelphia and Chicago and stuff, and, you know, they're, they're trying to adapt – their lifestyle according to you know their cost of living and everything that they kind of face in the city I, I really appreciate that perspective can you kind of talk a little bit more about your songwriting for that too sure I actually wrote that um I had to go back to London for like four months when I was between visas and um I was just staying with my dad I thought it was going to be like a month it ended up being four months which is oh, a wow. very long time to live with a parent as an adult. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, and I had an old guitar. Most of my instruments are in, were in storage in New York, but I had an old guitar that I'd left behind at my mom's house. And I was just like playing around with that. I mean, my dad's great. He's very into um, documentaries about things I don't want to watch. And, <laughs> and he doesn't have good internet. So oh, no. the evenings really drew out in those four months. Um, I had nothing to plug the guitar into, but like I could hear it enough to write something. So I kind of wrote that riff. And I was kind of thinking back on, it was more to do with when I first moved to London, because that's when I was like 22. And that whole thing of like scrabbling to get by. But the thing about the, that song is, yeah, it's about, moving to the big city and having no money and trying to work it out. But the last verse is about how I wouldn't have traded that in for the world. Like we were in the city and it was scary and we were broke, but we were, we were where we wanted to be. Yeah. It's that conclusive feeling then, you know, the black, it's your motivation. I think that so many people, they make these large moves and, you know, they make these kind of life choices and then they reach that point where it's like, it's the point of success. You realize, Hey, I did this for a reason and you know what? I'm happy doing this. So I love that you brought that up and you pointed that out specifically because that, that song is just so intriguing to me because it captures such a universal experience that so many people have these days. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) It's so cool. I love it. I love it. Um, another song that really caught my attention and I'm sure it has for many people also is your song mass shootings and Donald Trump. I felt like, that was like a straight up call out. We're cutting to the chase. This is everything that is wrong. And it's incredible. What was it like for you to kind of write that song? And what was your mind when you were writing it? Well, I actually wrote that during the primaries. Um, oh, wow. That early. I really didn't think he was going to become president. It was more the fact that he could even have that platform. Yeah. Um, so I was visiting England and and the song's kind of about what everybody was asking me about while I was back. Like, yeah, like what the fuck is going on? How how is this allowed to happen? Because um, the thing is, when you when you live in another country, the the news items from other countries um, are really only the main points of interest. So um, major disasters, major political unrest, 
that's largely what's going to get reported because we've got our own news. Mm -hmm. So in the UK, all that was really being reported from America was a series of shootings um, and the fact that Donald fucking Trump was going to be allowed to run for president. Yeah, it's insane. And I'm sure, like, looking at things from the outside, too, it seems just... We must have looked absolutely insane to the rest of the world at this point for even allowing him to have the platform, much less run and eventually win. Like, uh, the outside perspective, I'm sure, is just got to be so different from even what we're seeing here. Yeah, I mean, and this was just, this was prior to Brexit Mm -hmm. uh, when I wrote the song. So, actually, I wrote the song, recorded a very rudimentary demo of it, and sometimes I'll put those demos online briefly on our Facebook or whatever. I was just about to, and um, the reports of the Orlando shooting at Pulse came through. Mm, so yeah. that, that was the time that this was going on. I forget, I forget when that was. Um, uh, I believe that was like, uh, I want to say it may have been May or June. It's coming up, I feel like. Yeah, it was like, it was like early, early summer, late springtime. Yeah. So, so the, the Brexit stuff uh, hadn't really kicked off yet. Actually, I'm, I feel like I'm now getting everything. I'm now doubting myself on this. There was definitely around. I definitely didn't put the song online because of Pulse. But I guess Brexit must have already been happening because the Brexit results were announced on my birthday. Oh, no. <laughs> the night before my birthday, I was just sat up on my own in my apartment because, like, no one here cared enough to watch the results roll in. <laughs> like, watching the stuff come in and just being like, oh. Because my, I didn't even get to vote. My postal ballot never turned up. Oh, not that it, it would have made a difference, but I didn't even get to like participate yeah, you... as a citizen. Sure. Um. So yeah, I think Brexit kind of took the edge off British, certainly British, uh, um, talking about Trump and everything that was going on then because we didn't really have a leg to stand on. <laughs> we very much just shot ourselves in the foot with our own political insanity. So, Oh, yeah, I feel like, if anything, I'm not sure if you've seen the meme of, like, hold my drink, <laughs> where it's like, oh, Brit- <laughs> if Brexit happens, America's like, hold my drink, <laughs> gonna vote for Trump. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, gosh. I feel like at this point, it started to feel like, you know, two of the perceived world powers, I don't like to give anybody any particular leverage over the other, but it's like two of the perceived quote-unquote world powers are making rather crazy choices, it seems, or what could be perceived as crazy choices in, you know, uh, and you know, Brexit, and then electing Donald Trump. It's just, it's, it's crazy. It feels like our world is just very, very different than I think we thought it would be. Yeah, I mean, there's so many think pieces on what happened. It's difficult to... Yeah. I mean, my feeling on the matter, I think there's a, I think there's a line running through both instances, which is just that, um, particularly under Obama, those of us who lived in 
in affluent coastal, perhaps is a particularly pointed area. Mm-hmm. Um, we were having we were having a great time and not necessarily realizing that wasn't everybody's experience. And I think that a similar thing was happening in the UK. Yeah. Because if you look at the areas that voted for Brexit, they're overwhelmingly the north of the country, um, which is, it's not the case, it's not as uniform as it used to be, but it's certainly the less affluent part and on the whole. Um, I mean, British politics is just a sham at the moment. <laughs> We're about to have a general election. Um, it's slightly different in the UK. You don't vote for a person, you vote for the party. So, oh, okay. so when um, David Cameron stepped down when Brexit happened, um, he was fucking useless anyway, but off he went. And Theresa May gets to just take the job on. They have an election within the party, but the population doesn't get to choose. So Theresa May became the prime minister. I got so annoyed because I kept seeing these people going, yay, a woman prime minister. And it's like, she's fucking Thatcher part two. It's not, it's not positive. Well, you want it as much as you want it to be a woman or just in general, a non-cisgender man up there at the same time you want them to be also representative of your needs and reflective of what you think benefits the country as a whole so it's like as badly as yeah you want to have gender representation you want a good leader at the same time too yeah it's it's so it's so disheartening so she's called the general election so that then she'll have the mandate of having been having got the popular vote rather than just have being put there by the party. Mm-hmm. And um, common sense would suggest that this is the moment for the Labour Party, the left-wing party, to seize the day and mount a great campaign and take the election. But they're just not organisationally in a place where I think that's going to happen. So That makes it hard. I know. I feel like I feel like it's crazy. It's like it's a you can see the similarities between the two countries and what kind of issues that they are both facing the parallels. Like you mentioned about how there was a whole group of people that kind of were, uh, I wouldn't neglected, I guess, um, in an era where we thought we were prosperous. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting that you kind of point that out. I'm always fascinated to hear somebody's perspective that isn't inherently American and has like a, the same ideological perspective. I like to hear variety and stuff. And it sounds like you've got a very rounded perspective in that sense of having seen all angles and coming from a different background too. So, Well, what's very interesting to me, I mean, I had friends who lived in the UK whose minds were absolutely blown with Brexit because they were so convinced that, like, why would anyone vote for that? Of course, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And- and some of it was because of where they live, but a large proportion of that, that um, view on it was caused by social media because mm-hmm. Facebook shows you a reflection of yourself. It shows you your friends who have the same thoughts as you. It doesn't give you a view of the world at all. Um, and I had a similar, I from over here, 
I was saying to them, I think it's going to be really close. I'm really worried about it. And they were like, no, no, it's fine. And then the reverse happened with yep. Trump, where I was like, there's no way he's getting in. And my friends in the UK were like, I don't know. It it seems like it's close. Like, I, you're, you're there, so maybe you're right. But, And I think that, that Facebook in particular is so bad for that. Mm-hmm. So I, because... Um, the people that I'm connected to on Facebook are either in Europe or they're um, largely East Coast um, music people. Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody who at least outwardly is pro-Trump. I don't see that Yeah. on social media. But every now and then a, a friend's relative will pipe up on something and say something very inflammatory. <laughs> or post a meme or whatever it is. And it fascinates me. I mean, it horrifies me. Cut it out, kiddos. <laughs> Sorry, they started playing. <laughs> That's right. Um, it fascinates and, hor- and horrifies me in equal measure to see people talking like that because I'm not exposed to it. And I will occasionally try and engage them and it never goes very well. But No, it usually doesn't, unfortunately. <laughs> My attack is always to get terribly british with people because <laughs> it will get you a certain a certain distance by just being you know I'm terribly sorry um i don't want to intrude i know you don't know me i'm just very interested to find out why you might think that and like you can get a certain distance with just being very polite and very british huh. i think but still the way of the internet is people are not there to to debate. They're there to shout. It's so true. You make, you make a really clear point. I noticed, like, anytime politics or, like, social issues come up, a lot of people get very heated. And there it's, I am right, you are wrong, and that's that. <laughs> yeah. Which makes it difficult to actually have a progressive conversation, you know, for as liberal-minded as I am, it's difficult whenever... Um, everybody wants to be right. And though morally, I feel like I'm right. I have to also get, try to get behind the lens of somebody who thinks that they're right. And then the internet is just not the place to do that. You're better off sitting at a table with somebody and actually having a legitimate conversation. Absolutely. I just don't think that's happening much. No, unfortunately, it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. I, I'm just hopeful that one day we get past all of this. But in the meantime, your music's going to help me out a lot. <laughs> oh, glad to hear it. It's, a, it's just an incredible song, and it definitely puts things in, in perspective and to kind of shape the view even more and get more of a thought process into it. And it, I think it expanded my way of thinking, at least to see how somebody else will perceive the ongoings of what's happening here and I don't know, maybe more people need to hear that song and realize that we're coming across pretty pretty crazy right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, glad that, I'm glad that you uh, enjoyed it. It's, uh, yeah, that was very much the intention. Just, just take a second and think about how you look to the rest of the world. Yeah, everybody's about. watching. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's watching and, you know, watching each other, seeing what the other one's going to do. It's very much we're in this time of everybody's, like, checking out who's going to make the next move and how is that going to impact them? So 
I mean, the, the, the caveat that I always put when I talk to people about it is that I love living in America and mm-hmm. I've, this, this country has really embraced me and I've made incredible friends. Um, and it's not meant as a straight up fuck America, you guys suck. It's, no. it's more like what people are seeing of you is not what I know you to be. And I'm just trying to get that across, I think. No, time to shape up. You know, if, the, if you're, you're probably telling family and friends back home about all these great experiences that you get to have, but then you have your bad days where, you know, Trump sends out these really shitty tweets or, you know, you feel like there's another law being passed that can impact citizens here in a negative way. And you're like, uh, it doesn't come across as good as how you're talking up your personal experiences. And yeah. That, that's got to be terrible at that point because it's like, I'm having a great time here except for like, all this like terrible stuff the government's doing and you know it's like uh, you don't want that to be the story that everybody learns about america at that point yeah absolutely well i mean i guess the good thing that you have of course is being able to be involved in local music and playing shows and stuff Mm -hmm. um talk about the local scene that you play in You, you you kind of put yourself out there as like a brooklyn band and stuff uh what are some of the spots you like to play or who do you like to play with yeah, I mean, we're kind of half half Brooklyn, half New Jersey. Uh, Nick lo- lives in Jersey City. Oh, awesome. Which is really handy um, because it means that we get to play out a lot in both. There's a lot of great spots in New Jersey. I feel like a lot of particularly Brooklyn bands just don't get out there. Okay. People, like, people in New Jersey go off. Those shows are so <laughs> fun. So I'm always like, Nick, where, where's New? Where else can we play in New Jersey? Like, I love playing in New Jersey. That being said, we do play in Brooklyn quite a lot. Um, there's a really nice little scene. I actually put out a compilation in November. <laughs> I don't know why I had to think about that because the launch party was the day after the election. Um, a compilation called Band Cramps. And it's um, 17 tracks oh, wow. of, of New York and a few New Jersey uh, we call it girl music because it spans a lot of genres, but overwhelmingly is um, female and female identifying bands. Um, and all profits from that compilation went to the Willie Mae Rock Camp for Girls. Awesome. Because they, they have a sliding scale of fees um, based on the income of the parents. So they accept a lot of donations to allow them to subsidize lower income campers. Um, so we were able, between the compilation, uh, the launch party, and then another show that we did a couple of months ago, we raised enough to completely fund one girl to the camp. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I really love what they're doing. I mean, I should I should also add that whilst they're called Willie Mae Rock Camp for Girls, it's they accept kids all across the uh, gender spectrum. Awesome. Um, and it's just, it's a really, really great, great thing. And I, it's always bummed me out that I just am, am unable to actually commit time to it because it requires like an entire week to commit to, I just am not able to with my work. 
but I wanted to be able to support it as much as possible. And there's so many great bands that we've been playing with. Um, I just kind of wanted to give back to the bands of the future. Back to the bands of the future is a terrible phrase, but <laughs> I've mixed all kinds of uh, time periods and metaphors in that sentence, but you get what I mean. Um, there's a band called Lady Business, whose guitar player, Kate Hoos, puts on a lot of shows. She promotes one of the stages at Punk Island. Oh, awesome. Yeah, and she also just promotes a lot of shows. And she's been very instrumental in building this little scene um, around those shows that she puts on. So through her, we've met... Um, so we're doing a, a weekend tour with Lady Business at the end of July. We're booking that now. Um, through her, we've met... Um, there's a band called Lady Bits, who are incredible. Kind of very... Um, uh, Olympia-esque Riot Girl um, and they are uh, we're doing a mini tour with them at the end of June um, and just like everyone on that compilation I mean the, the most well-known band on that compilation would be Sharp Muffin I guess that's a great uh, band too yeah and they're awesome like we haven't got to play with them yet but I just hit them up and they were like yeah absolutely we're on board um, Desert Sharks are incredible. Um, this band Tony Harding are like one of my favorite bands in New York right now. Um, and then this other band, Ellen and, Ellen and the Degenerates. Oh, excellent. Uh, who I'm actually playing bass for now. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been in the band since like March. Um, well, I've heard excellent things about that band in particular, so I'm excited yeah. for you. It's super fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's really neat. Well, that's so cool that you have so many bands that you're working with. You're doing benefit comps and just really great opportunities coming and building out of this scene and these connections and such. Uh, you know, are there any favorite shows that you have coming up or any bands that you've loved playing with over the time that you've been doing Basic Bitches? We've got one coming up that I'm really excited about. It's due on June 15th. Okay. Uh, is the same day that this new record's coming out. Um, we're going to be playing with Giant Kitty from Houston. Awesome. And the Caminas. Great band. Uh, <laughs> they're just two bands that I'm like a massive fan of, and I'm so psyched we're opening for them. Um, oh, and this and Mega Weapon are also playing. Awesome. Um, I just like Giant Kitty were just such a random find. Like they were, we were each other's top related band on spotify for some reason <laughs> and i was cool. like who does that band and then listened to it and was like i fucking love this band and just sent them a message and was like if you ever come through brooklyn let me know um so yeah so that's in that's june 15th um i'm i'm excited for these two mini tours we're working out it's booking tours is kind of tough yeah um, i just today was speaking to uh thin lips from philadelphia who are a great band. Yeah. Um, and I think we're going to do the Philly show with them, that with Lady Bits in June. Sounds awesome. Um, yeah. Just trying to, I'm just trying to get out of New York a bit more. Um, it's a little bit tough because Nick is like a lot of drummers in multiple bands. Mm -hmm. 
So got to work around that. He's in this, uh, his main other band is this band Overlake. Okay. Uh, like shoegazy. Um, there he's on tour with them right now. They get back next week. Um, but he's also in like this metal band called World Sucks. And he's in this other band called Mr. Payday. And then he like occasionally joins for other people. He's very much a gun for hire. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we we have to like plan way in advance to make sure everything slots in. But um, yeah, I think the summer's gonna be really fun. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of exciting things coming up between shows and the record itself coming out. Um, what are some goals that you have, you know, for this year or perhaps the future in general? Well, I mean, this, so this record, City Slackers, is, um, it's basically um, collecting two new songs and then 11 songs that have been out in various ways uh, since the band started. So we've done two four-song Seven Inches um, and then we put out a two-song single, uh, and then the Trump song came out on its own, originally on the compilation, and then we put it out on its own. So it's good. that's like the other 11, and then these two brand new songs. Um, and then, then I kind of would like to try and write a full le- record, like a full album. Um, yeah, we'll see. I it's there's also just uh, the practicalities of of putting music out now. Like we were originally going to try and put out these two new songs on a seven inch, but it's just not financially viable to do that by ourselves anymore. We did the seven inches before, and they are they're actually um, test pressings that we hand stamped rather than getting full production. Um, and we still lose like $2 on every one we sell, but I didn't want to sell them for, if you make a seven inch, $8, like, no, what's the point? Yeah. It's a little bit trickier to sell them at that price. That makes sense. So what would we, we briefly tried to shop around to labels and see if anybody was interested in putting out seven inch. No one really bit on that. Um, which I kind of understand because it was like, we were trying to package up two new ones and two old ones. It was a weird thing. So we kind of came to this decision to do um, this collection of songs and to do it as a CD, which I feel like is a format that everyone's kind of forgotten about because everybody's doing records, which are crazy expensive to make, or they're doing cassettes, which are very cheap to make, but sound like shit. And like, most people don't have a cassette player. I feel like people buy cassettes and then they just sit on a shelf. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's very, it's a very odd format to have come back, but it is way cheaper to make them. We nearly did a cassette. We were going to do a cassette via uh, Wiener Records, like last year. Mm-hmm. And then it just, their production got really, really backed up. And it, like was uh, months after we thought it was going to come out, it still hadn't gone into production, and we were like, you know what, just scrap it at this point. Like, there's no new songs on it. Um, so I kind of wanted to get everything together, have a really nicely packaged, brand new thing, and then kind of draw a line under the, that group of songs and then start afresh on the next group of songs. So we already have like three new ones. 
um, one of which we played out a couple of times, a song called My Body, My Choice, and then a couple of brand new ones that we're still working around with, so, yeah. Sounds like there's some exciting new stuff on the way then. What's yeah. Do? Once this record comes out, we'll get even more new songs, so that sounds awesome. Yeah, there's going to be a video with the record as well. Um, we play, there's this band called The Rizzos who we play with a bunch, they're really great. Yeah. Meg, Megan from The Rizzos makes videos, and she's mm -hmm. making a video for We All Move to the City, so. Fingers crossed if we can get everything shot in time, that will be out on the same day as the record. Awesome. Well, that sounds like it's really exciting stuff that's happening. To have the visual go with the record itself will be great. So, awesome. Well, where can everybody keep up with Basic Pitches online? Um, we do have basicpitchesband.com. I would say Facebook's probably the best place to keep up with us. Uh, Instagram as well, we're at Basic Bitches Band which at the moment is just me Instagramming screenshots of stupid text message conversations because Nick's in a van on the other side of the country. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I would say those two places. And then most of our stuff's on Bandcamp. Um, and the Band Cramps compilation is also on Bandcamp. <laughs> band, Bandcramps.bandcamp.com. Awesome. Um, yeah. Well, very good. Everybody, make sure you go check out Basic Bitches. Thanks so much, Sammy. Thank you. I was a fighter, not a lover, and I thought it did me well. Cause I had a fire in my belly that felt like I could conquer hell. And anyone who tried to love me would only feel my wrath because the love is but a weakness and my fury lived my path. Some people are better on their own I've been a fighter and a lover Now I'm neither, truth be told But I still don't understand Which one was better for my soul You just heard Basic Bitches. Though I'm still not a fan of the term basic bitches, I'm grateful for people like Naomi who are using their platform to address issues imposed by impressive governments and lines drawn by the patriarchy. That's it for this week, but you can keep up with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Angry Girl Music. 
If you're interested in being a guest, reach out to me at my email, angrygirlmusic at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Amanda. Keep your ears open for voices shaking up the scene.